there are so many, uh, you know, it's like things in the Bible, like, like I was mentioning about Christian jargon. Christian jargon is just words used in Christianity, which, you know, we, we come to understand uh, over the course of time, over the, over the, our growth, like sin and righteousness and grace and, th- and things like that. And uh, it's good that we understand these things, but they become more like a language to us, which also is, uh, you know, it's a mindset we develop. It's a mindset that we wrap our brains around and we try to conform ourselves within that. It's our life is not supposed to be confined to or rather conformed to any one particular thing. There is no confirmation as far as our life is concerned. There's no freedom in confirmation. God is not conformed to anything. Is not confined to this mindset that only this, right? Now I understand that man has come from a background where you know it's like Adam, Adam sinned here, you know, and and humanity came from that mindset. I understand that, but the whole reason why Jesus came was to set us free from that mindset, to set us free from that bondage, that 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 framework of this is the way things are done. So God does not want us to be thinking within a box. He wants us to be thinking outside of that box. He wants us to be thinking eternally. And eternal means there is no one way to do things. There is no one way things will happen. Jesus came as the Savior and, and he came to introduce us to the Father. That's why he is called the last Adam, not the second Adam. He's called the last Adam. In other words, there's no other Adam coming after him. The first Adam was supposed to be exactly how Jesus is. But it wasn't. So we are a product of the first Adam. But now Jesus came and he showed us what Adam was supposed to be like. And because he came, salvation is now about bringing us back to that original place that God designed. That first place that God designed Adam to be in, to live in, the state of perfection. right? And that's who we are. That's where we are. That's where we are living. So when we see things, when we see life, we are supposed to be seeing life the way Jesus lived it, the way Jesus demonstrated it for us how he spoke, what he did, and the life he lived, basically. His life is our life. Exactly as he is, that's who we are. Right? John uh, 4.17. So our life is supposed to be, sorry, 1 John 4.17. Our life is supposed to be everything that Jesus demonstrated for us. He exemplified the free life. Right? He was never confined to anything. He never conformed himself to humanity. He never gave himself that mindset that, you know, it's like, I have to do uh, according to tradition. He never did that. He was free. He did whatever he wanted. Everything just materialized around him for, you know, because he wanted it. His intention created a reality for him that was that was just free. That's who we are supposed to be. That's our life. So the salvation message, the gospel, is Jesus bringing us back to the original place, the original design that God originally intended for Adam to live. The perfect life. We are perfect now. Right? We are perfect because Jesus showed us how perfect we are. He was the last Adam. That's we are the last Adam. Born of the last Adam. Right? That's who we are. Perfect. 100%. There is no bondage in our mind. There's nothing that says this is the way you're supposed to live. Right? The first uh, covenant that we, we saw, the, the Old Testament, like I was mentioning earlier, okay, it had the rules, it had the regulations, it had the law. Right? That was for people of a fallen mindset. That was for people who was who was already bound by their conscience. And so the, the law was supposed to give them some sort of order and direction yeah, as to how to, you know, because, because of their damaged mindset, yeah, it was supposed to be a cultural framework, right? 
among other things, of course. Jesus came, he fulfilled the law for us, and now we are living as a product of who Jesus is, right? As a product of what Jesus demonstrated. Today we are living in this life where it's like there is no sin. There is no concept of sin. Sin is an old covenant, is an old testament concept, right? There is no sin in your world and my world. I mean, think about it. What did Jesus say, right? The Lamb of God, who, uh, I mean, Jesus didn't say it. John said it about Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If Jesus has taken away the sin of the world, let me ask you this in a different way. Did Jesus take away the sin of the world? Well, if he was supposed to take away the sin of the world, I'm pretty sure he was very successful. I mean, there is no sin in this world today as far as you and I are concerned. Right? Jesus took us out of the kingdom of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of the Son of God, right? In the Son of Light. In the kingdom of light. That's where we are today. There is no sin. There is no devil. There is no darkness. There is no all these things that, you know, that we are so conscious about. A lot of what I hear is like, you have to be mindful of the devil's ways so that you can avoid it. The only way to be, to, to avoid the devil's ways is to live in the kingdom, to live in light. Because there is no darkness in light. There is no darkness in the kingdom. There is no devil in the kingdom. Light, uh, darkness cannot come into our reality. Right? So there's no, you know, it's like, what is the devil doing? I mean, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and all that stuff. That's all sin conscious mind. That's all devil conscious mindset. And I understand it's in the Bible. I understand that Peter said that. But you understand the mindset of Peter and, and Paul. They were two completely different mindsets. You understand the mindset of Paul and John. Peter and John, Peter, James and John, all the different apostles, completely different mindsets, right? John was never mindful of, you know, it's like, uh, oh, the devil and all that kind of stuff. He was more mindful about people should not fall away from Jesus. Paul was more about, you know, it's like, uh, uh, more about, you know, preaching Jesus. Peter was more about like, yeah, do the right thing and then you'll be, you know, it's like, you'll be safe. Do the right thing and Jesus will approve of you. That was more the mindset of all the, all the apostles, uh, Gospels that we read, their epistles that we read, how they ran their churches, how they operated in their churches, what kind of message they preached. So each each apostle had a different kind of a mindset and we can't subscribe to every different mindset, right? Those letters that were written in the Bible were not written to you and me. They were written to the people of those churches living in those times who were going through their experiences and living in that culture. Now, I'm not saying that we can't apply that to us. There are principles in there that are very valuable. There are principles in there that are very powerful. And we do apply it to our lives. Yes, 100%. Right? But not everything applies to you. In other words, women should not preach in church, head covering, all that jazz is not for us. It's for that culture. And it's plain. It's very plain to see. It's not like it's a great science. Right? Many people have already tapped into that kind of a revelation. So, I mean, as far as you and I are concerned, don't get sucked into this thing of righteousness and grace. Now, I'm not saying don't live righteously. I'm not saying don't understand what grace is. Righteousness and grace are already a part of our lives. We already came into righteousness and grace when we came to Jesus. There's no point getting stuck in that mindset. The more you, It's like I spend the majority of my Christian life, you know, in this mindset of, you know, I'm righteous, I'm righteous, I'm righteous. And the more I got into that mindset of I'm righteous, right? 
it made me wonder why am I, you know, trying to convince myself that I'm righteous? Is it because I am sin conscious? That's why I have to convince myself that I'm righteous. There's that root that is always trying to get a hold of me, which is why I need to overcome it by telling myself I'm a son of God. I'm righteous. Grace, God's grace, God's this, God's that, you know, all that stuff. And there was no freedom because subconsciously I was always aware of something, you know, it's like dominating my life. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Again, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to lay down are principles so that we understand how our mind works, right? If you go back to the first AG videos that I shared, I shared how the mind works, how, you know, how, where thoughts come from, how the mind and the brain is so interconnected and how we actually, you know, it's like think and live today. Our life is a product of everything that we are in our mind. Now, about this righteousness and uh, grace, we are already in the grace of God. Our life is the grace of God. Our life is the righteousness of God. We are already righteous. It's a state of existence that we live in. You don't have to convince yourself that God is not mad at you. God was never mad at you in the first place. In the beginning, yes, 100% you had to really, you know, get down to that uh, thing of uh, when you came to Jesus, right? You, you came to Jesus, you're thinking, yeah, okay, fine. You know, it's like, will God accept me? Because there was there was so much that we learned from our old life that was like, you know, it's like, uh, unless you do good things, God is not going to accept you. God is not going to bless you. So yes, at that stage, at that point in time, it was very important that we understood that, you know, it's like God loves us and he blesses us unconditionally, regardless of what I do. Regardless of what I've done, regardless of my past, regardless of my future, it doesn't matter. So you needed that at that stage. But there comes a time when you become it such that you're not supposed to be living in that replay, that, you know, the, the thing that goes on in your mind, it, it keeps you stuck in one place. It never lets you move on in life. So our, our, you know, our life is supposed to be a life of complete freedom. You live free. 100% free. As God is free, as your father is free, as Jesus is free, that's how free you and I are. Right? Because the Holy Spirit is the materialization of our world. The father is the material of our world. What is that to think about? Right? The only reason why people think so much, the people reason so much, the people are so mindful and wary of things happening in their lives or things not happening in their life is because they are not mindful of the Father being their world. Who is the kingdom? The Father himself. The Holy Spirit who materializes things according to the Father's will. Who is the Father? Who is the Father manifested himself as? You and me. Whatever your will is, the Holy Spirit makes happen. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it was designed originally. Whatever is your intention, Whatever is your desire, the Holy Spirit makes happen. Just as he did at creation. Light be and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters and creation took place. Right? Who materialized everything? Where did the sun and everything come from? The Holy Spirit materialized God's intention. Who is materializing your intention now? The same Holy Spirit that the Father gave. Right? Your world is perfect. There's nothing wrong with your world. There's only something wrong when you materialize doubt and fear. It materializes everything that you doubt. Who's materializing it? You have that power to do it. I mean, in the end, you and I are governors. You and I are, I mean, co-creators with our father. 
manifested fathers. We are the manifestation of our father. Simple truth, right? So coming back to this thing of, you know, it's like uh, righteousness and grace and, you know, it's like faith and faith. Okay, let's take faith, right? It's so complex that I spend majority of my life trying to get faith, trying to live by faith, trying to juice faith out of myself, trying to, you know, it's like live in that, you know, have have the faith of God, believe God. You know, it's like so difficult. It's so difficult because it was made to sound impossible, almost impossible. And I'm like, how do you have faith? It's, it's really very simple. Your relationship with God is your faith. It's, 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 it's really that simple. It's not complicated. We have complicated it for ourselves. Your relationship with God is how things happen. You don't have to try to juice things or juice things out of yourself to make it happen, right? How many of you trust your spouse? How many of you trust that, okay, fine, you know, I'm going to get home and there's going to be something really amazing prepared for me? If that's what generally happens, okay? That's, if that's what generally happens. If you know that's going to happen, why? Because you trust your spouse, you don't have to think twice about, oh, you know, it's like, will it happen? Won't it happen? I don't know. If you trust your spouse, it is on the basis of the relationship that you have in this, and, and it's a tangible relationship. If you do not have a tangible relationship with the father, if you do not have a tangible relationship with Jesus, how can you trust him? You can't trust a person you can't relate to. If you've never met the father, if you've never met Jesus, how can you trust him? All you're trusting is just the concept of these people. You're trusting just the idea that there is a father, there is Jesus. I've heard of him. I probably heard him. I may have heard Jesus say something once. So I'm going to have faith in him. You're having faith in a concept, in a thought, not in the person. So the idea is to find the father in a tangible, real relationship. Only then you can materialize him. Because otherwise you will not know who to materialize and how to materialize it. Right? It's, it's that simple, right? I mean, think about it. This is not complex. This is not complicated. This is not like, how do I get it done? How do I do it? It's as simple as if you trust your spouse because of the relationship that you have with him or her, you know what's going to happen. You know how to get things done. You know how things will get done. In the same way, if you have a relationship, a tangible relationship with the father, if you find it and you know it and you live in it, there's absolutely nothing to think about because the father is just, I mean, you don't have to think about tomorrow. You don't have to think about the next five minutes. Forget the rest of your life. You don't have to think about it. There's nothing to think about. It is just good. It is just amazing because he is your future. He is everything that you are going to be. He is everything that you are today. Everything. So you don't have to really wonder and worry and think like, oh my God, no, it's like, see, the relationship with God, how is it, okay? God is love, right? What is love? A lot of us think, or, or rather, love is portrayed as an emotion. On the contrary, love is not an emotion at all. Love is not emotional about anything. Love is very objective. God is not emotional at all. 
He is very objective about everything. If he was emotional, every time we cried, he'd send the angels down to help us, save us, deliver us, take us out of some situation one way or the other. Right? That's emotion. Let me do things, you know, it's like, I don't want to see my son cry. I don't want to see my child cry. I don't want to see this thing happen. God is not emotional. Love is not emotional. Love is very straightforward. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is this. You read the first Corinthians chapter uh, 13, right? This is love. Very straightforward, very direct. This, I'm, I'm going to do everything for you so that you benefit from what I do and who I am. That's love. So no matter what you think is right, what love is will materialize. Like we love, we love our kids, right? Every time they cry for junk food or they cry for videos and they cry for video games and they cry for all that rubbish that they, that they generally are so attracted to, do you think we are going to give, just give it to them? Emotions would. Emotions will give it to them like, yeah, yeah, please, I don't want to see you cry. I don't want to see you hurt. I don't want to see things. You know, you're sad. I'm sad. No. Love is, I'm looking out for your future and I want you to be the best you can be. No video games. I know what it does. No junk food. No this, no that. I know what it does. Doesn't matter what, how much you cry, I love you. And that because I love you, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do for you. That's love. It's very objective and it is for the benefit of that person. Right? So think about God now. Right? We see God as love. Right? And we know God is love. Technically, and conceptually, yes, God is love. But what is love? Right? If God had to, you know, swoop down from heaven and stop Adam from eating that fruit, do you think he would be in, you know, in, in accordance to his word and who he is? After having given dominion to Adam, after he said, Adam, uh, man will have rule and dominion over all mankind, over, over all creation, over all the earth. They will have rule and dominion. Do you think it would be justified for him to swoop in and stop him from eating the fruit? I mean, ideally, we as parents, we would jump at that thing. I mean, get away from that tree. Get right there. You think God didn't know? Of course he knew. Did he allow it? A hundred percent. Why did he allow it? Because he manifested a version of himself that was supposed to be him making decisions as an individual person. Right? Now, as far as you and I are concerned, when we see our children, okay, they're still children, they, they don't know what they're doing, they're, you know, it's like they, 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 they can't think, they don't. So we allow them a certain amount of leeway, but we know the future and how it is because of how we have done, but we, what we tend to do is we tend to take care of our kids in the light of how they should grow up. A lot of times we get very controlling, right? We control a little, a little way too much, but there are times then we just give in. God will never do that. God just, you know, it's like he lets you be. He lets your own will take its course. That is love, right? That's what we are learning as parents. I mean, uh, I have two boys. My boys are like, you know, they want the world. They want everything, right? <laughs> and as parents, I need to make, as parents, we, my wife and I need to make decisions about how we raise the kids, what to give them, what is okay, what is permissible, what is not. And we need to really think about the things. But, and, and, and it's a growing process for us, for us as well. 
love in the end is not what I want to say is love is not an emotion. Okay, love is very objective about things. And when we think of God, when we see God, when we know who God is, we need to understand that God really does everything on the basis of who he is by nature. And that's who we need to be as a manifestation of who he is. Everything we do must flow out of that nature that we are, our identity. Right? Another thing that we generally think of is sin. Right? Like I was mentioning earlier, what is sin? Sin is, a lot of times people have this thing about, you know, wait a minute, sin is wrongdoing. And we think like, if I do something wrong, thought, this, that, that is sin. Sin is not wrongdoing. We have this thing that sin is all about wrongdoing, doing something wrong, doing something against God. That is sin. But sin is something that originates much before that. Right? It originates from why we do something wrong so-called wrong or right or whatever it is. Why do we do it? It starts much before that, right? Why does, why does a thief steal? Generally, he steals because he doesn't trust God to provide for him. Why does a liar lie? He lies because he doesn't trust God to deliver him from a situation. So he has to make his own way, right? Why does a murderer murder? Why does it whatever? Why do all these things happen? They don't trust God to provide that kind of a reality for them where they don't need to do things that are against their own identity. So it all boils down to very one to one very simple reality as in what do you believe? And that is what sin entails. Not believing God for who he is. That's what sin is. Nothing else. Right? It's not like you did something wrong, you did something against God, you lie, cheat, steal. It has nothing to do with that. It starts much before that. Right? You take care of the why, all the hows and the what's get sorted out on its own. You take care of who you are uh, to the Father and where you are in the Father, everything else gets, sort, gets sorted out on its own. You don't have to think about anything else after that because it just takes care of itself. The reason why we are uh, as Christians, okay, and now, I'm, now again, I'm saying as Christians and all that we are not really Christians, okay. Honestly speaking, I'm not a Christian, neither I do, neither I want to be a Christian. I don't promote Christianity. I don't think there is something called as Christianity. Jesus did not come to start Christianity. Jesus did not come to create another race or another religion or another group of people separated from the rest of the world called Christians. He didn't come to do any of that thing. He came to bring every single person, regardless of race, culture, color, creed, he came to bring that person made in the image of the Father, he came to bring that person to the Father. Right? And the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Man created this thing of you are of this nation and you are of that race and you are of that culture and you are of that religion. Man did that. Jesus didn't come to start another religion at all. Right? He came to bring us back. So when I say as Christians, I'm talking about that mindset that we have because we have been brought up in this traditional Christian mindset in the churches, in our uh, religious background, from right from the time we started, that our mind has been trained to think that we are superior and we are different and we are, you know, it's like we are there. And a lot of us are not nowhere near there. In fact, the people I, I've seen a lot of people who, who are not, you know, it's like we're not in Jesus more level-headed than we as Christians are. I found that to be, I'm, I mean, it's, it's the truth. What, what else can I say? 
there are so many more reasonable people than Christians. It's just the way it is, right? And there are more people who are so in tune with God, with the Father, without knowing He's the Father. They are so in tune with His heart. They know His will. They live according to His will. Without knowing Him, they are being led by the Father. Because in the end, who, who's the very core of our being? It's the Father. In the end, it will always be the Father. You are a manifestation, whether you're born again or not, you are a manifestation of your Father. And the reason why people are so you know, attracted to Jesus so easily, and once you're there, you don't turn back, is because you know that there's a witness of Jesus that's from the Father himself. So it's that easy. You don't have to think twice. He's very attractive. He's perfect. So the Father sent Jesus. He materialized his word in the form of the Christ for us to know that there is a Father. But then there's this big religion that surrounded Jesus and Jesus became Christianity and Jesus became the church and all that jazz took place. And, you know, again, we, you know, it's like, it's, Jesus said, what do you say? It's recorded for us in the Bible, in John. It says, I have come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. He said, I have come, I am the, I'm, I'm the door, right? You can enter the pasture, you can go in and come out anytime you want. He said, I have come to bring you to the Father. That's the key. That's the main thing. To bring us to the Father. That is the most important thing. Not so that we can sit and follow him. No. He didn't say follow me as, you know, as like I am Jesus and I am God. No, he said, he said, the Bible also says that he surrendered everything to the Father. So follow me was for that time where he told his disciples, you know, follow me and all that. That was for that time. But once he surrendered everything to the Father, it was supposed to be, I have brought you to the Father. Now you're home. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. The Father's home. The Father is our home. Where it originally started from. The second man, Jesus, the last Adam, is not the, not, is not the end. The Father is the end. The source. Okay, some of you may be getting a little jittery. Oh my God, what is he saying about Jesus? I love Jesus. I met Jesus. I speak to Jesus every day. I meet him every day. So I have no problem with Jesus. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is Jesus. So there's no question about who I know Jesus as. Because I have met Jesus, because I know Jesus, I can confidently tell you he brought us to the Father because that was his, that was what he was sent for. So unless we meet the Father, we haven't arrived yet. Saying I'm born again is of absolutely no use unless you have met the Father because the Father is the beginning and the end. It's that simple. Right? No Christianity, don't put yourself in any box of religion, of any race, culture, or creed. You do not belong to a group of people. You belong to eternity. In other words, you are a whole world in yourself. You are a reality in yourself. There is no one there's, I mean, it, you are the kingdom. Revelation 1, right? You are a kingdom and a priesthood. You're not a king and a priest. King and a priest means just one person. You are an entire kingdom in yourself. You can bring people into your kingdom. You can be a part of another person's kingdom. You, you are an entire kingdom and a priesthood in yourself. Just being a priest is only a simple thing. It's like just a task, a responsibility. Being a priesthood is a state of existence. 
being a kingdom is a reality. You are one whole world, an entire world in yourself. One of the things is that I'm pretty sure you would not have got this entire thing, you know, it's like from start to finish in one go. So I would really request that you go back to the beginning of this video and kind of like check it out and, and revisit the entire thing because there is a lot of you know small, small little snippets and bits in this thing that we really need to revisit and understand and come to terms with, right? Because uh, there's, I mean, I spoke about love. Now it was a little fragmented, but the reason why it is fragmented is because the I wanted in this in this message itself, in this session itself, I wanted to break down all these little terms that we kind of use and conform to just to identify with the Christianity that we have conformed to, right? Just break out of that box. You don't need it. 